It's great to see you this uh, fine wintry morning, amen? God's so good. This fall we've been uh, doing a series called The Battle Within, and we've been looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, and discovering what it means to be a sanctified, devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we got into chapter 8, and chapter 8, there's a distinct turning of teaching, and Paul gets into more of the solution for the problem identified in Romans chapter 7, then the problem identified in Romans chapter 7 is that our sin nature tends to rear its ugly head in us way too frequently. And so in chapter 8, Paul begins to teach us how we then can stand against that. And he, he begins by saying the Holy Spirit will do a work in us that we can't do in ourselves. And so I want to do a quick review of last week, and then we're going to jump into uh, a second revelation that Paul gives us here in Romans 8 that is fundamental to really experiencing the set-apart fully devoted life to Jesus Christ. But we learned last week that Jesus not only came to save you from sin, but also to set you free from your sin nature by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. All right? So the person of the Holy Spirit in you will do things in you that you can't do for yourself. And he will equip you, enable you, and empower you uh, to become a fully devoted, sanctified follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's review point number two. God, who is able to raise Jesus from the dead, has given you then the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in the new way of the Spirit. So we called this the Spirit Factor last year, or last week. Um, we called this a Spirit Factor, that, that we have this power of the Holy Spirit Uh, to live the life that God has called us to live uh, of sanctification. Now, this morning, we're going to uh, learn that not only God has given us a spirit to empower us, but he's also given us the position of a family member in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in the Lord Jesus, we have a sonship. We are adopted. We are part of the family of God. And this implies then some things that are really important for us to figure out. But let's go to this introductory thought, first of all, this morning. Spirit and sonship are critical components of sanctification. All right? Spirit and sonship are critical components of sanctification. We're going to look at sonship right now. So we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 of Romans 8, where Paul talks about this idea that we have a sonship in Christ. Listen to this scripture. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are our children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what Paul's saying here is, if you've received Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you've been adopted into his family, and you need to live like one of his children, because that's now your identity, amen? You are part of God's family. You are a beloved child of the living God, 
and basically live accordingly. So our big thought this morning is simply this. I call it the sonship factor. Those who are led by the Spirit of God have a family standing as children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God have a family standing as children of God. Now, what Paul's been doing in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 is hitting the sanctification concept from multiple angles. Now, when I use that word sanctification, it contains two components. When you're born again in Jesus, you become holy in God's sight, H-O-L-Y. It's just as though you never sinned. All your sins, past, present, and future, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. They are no more. God sees you acquitted of your sins, righteous in his sight. But secondly, you are becoming wholly devoted to God, W-H-O-L-L-Y. You're becoming wholly devoted to God in all areas of your life. And that sanctification process, that setting apart process, it's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is really talking about here this morning. And so what Paul's telling us is that th- there's multiple angles to this, this fully devoted life, the sanctification being realized. First of all, Christ came and died for us. Amen? That's angle number one. You could not save yourself. You're hopelessly lost in your sins. So God sent Jesus to die and atone for our sins. Okay, that's angle number one. And I think if you've been around Christianity for a while, hopefully you know that angle. Amen? But then he goes right on. He says, a second thing that God has done for for us, a second angle that we need to understand, is that he has given us the person of the Holy Spirit to live right inside us. And he will empower us to become what God desires us to become. And what we're supposed to become is what? A beloved son or daughter. A child of God, part of the family of God. That's angle number three that he talked on this morning. You are now in Christ a beloved child. And you have then this family standing. Your family name means something. It carries with it privileges. It carries with it power. It also carries with it obligation to behave a certain way because you are a Christ follower. You are a Christian. So this is another angle that Paul's revealing to us this morning of how we step into the truly devoted, sanctified life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge question for you. Will you embrace the reality of your family position? Will you embrace that? You have an identity as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the label means that you will now be one who seeks to and desires to live in harmony with your family name. You're going to live under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you do this. We've done this before in our family a long time ago when our kids were still at home. We would often say we do this because we're Norbies. Anybody ever do that? We do this because we're Smiths or Joneses or, you know, whatever your last name is. That's, you, you wait till your kids get older if you don't have them yet, when they're preteens especially. You will say some of that. We do this because this is who we are. And I know I said this several times. When you get older and you're on your own and you pay your own bills and you can suffer the consequences yourself, then you can do what you want to do. But for now, right, you're in this home and we do this this way. Amen? Amen. Some of you parents are amen to me. That's good. 
But <laughs> let's take this now to our, the fact that we're Christ followers. Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross for us, because we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, because we've taken on his name, we're Christians, we live a certain way now, amen? We have a family identity. And it's a factor in then how we do our life. And here's supposed to be the sonship outcome. By the way, when I use the term sonship, it applies to both men and women. It's just this idea of, well, I'll get to it right now. Sonship outcome. As, as, as part of the family of God, you no longer live life in fear. But because of your sonship, you can cry, Abba, Father. Now, sonship means adoption. It simply means you are a child of God. You are in a family relationship Instead of a slavery relationship, it applies to both men and women. So once you're born again in the Lord Jesus, filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, have the new identity as a Christ follower, what Paul's saying is, you're not going to live the same anymore. Amen? You're going to do your life entirely differently. You're going to be set apart for the glory of Jesus Christ. And for sure, now hear this, for sure, you're not going to live in fear like you used to live in fear. Because those who are in Jesus Christ are experiencing his perfect love, which casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're no longer under punishment. Amen? Because we're part of the family of God. I want to do a little exercise with you this morning. In fact, you're going to do this. You're going to participate. We'll see if you can get some of these right. First hour, by the way, did really well. Set the bar high. You can do this with your wife or husband. You can do it with a friend. You can do it with a stranger sitting next to you if you want. You can do it yourself, but we're going to do this exercise. In your note-taking guide, there are five spots under exercise. List what you think people fear most. Begin with number one and go to number five. What you think people fear most, put that under one, and then what you think they fear second, two. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do this exercise. Share away with people around you. I don't really care. Fill in your list. Here you go. If you overhear other people, it's fine just to write down what they're saying. That's okay. That's cool. I hear some of you kind of like, oh, I heard that. <laughs> sure. Okay. Time's up. Close enough. We're going to now compare your answers to what researchers found 3,000 people said when posed with this question, what do you fear most? This is 3,000 people's result, okay? What do you think number one was? What? You're all speaking at once. What did you say? Public speaking. Public speaking. Yeah, it's public speaking. Number one is speaking before a group. 41% said they feared that most. So out of the 3,000, almost 1,500 said, I'd rather do anything but speak in public. <laughs> yep. What do you think number two is? Not even close. Loneliness. 
That's pretty good. Yeah, no one else said that. Um, no, tights. <laughs> You're all good. Oh. 32% of people said they were more fearful of heights than death. Uh, isn't that what happens when you fall off of things that are high? But anyway, <laughs> you die. <laughs> so I don't know about the logic of this, but heights. How about number three? Somebody said something to do with it over here. I heard it. It's small and it bites sometimes. Spiders, yeah, insects and bugs were number three. Can you believe that? 22% of people said they fear insects and bugs more than anything. I found that interesting. Number four, I don't think anybody's going to get, so I'm going to just tell you this one. Financial problems. What's number? Oh, John, all right. Well, there's one that got it. Financial problems are number four. By the way, I want to give you a plug this morning because I, I, I tell you, one-fourth of people basically said, more than anything, I fear finances. We offer uh, a consistent running class here at Grace Point called Financial Peace University, and it has to do with how to handle your finances. And if you're the one in four today here that says, finances, man, this is just, this is just you know, um, really something that's kind of uh, uh, causing me some distress, you need to take that class, amen? Take it and, f- and get free from that problem. Um, number five, deep waters. <laughs> I grew up in Minnesota. Everybody swims, I think, but not, evidently not. So people fear water. Um, uh, number six is sickness. Have you noticed we haven't got to death yet? Death is number seven. It's right in the middle of the list. I was surprised by that because I think a lot of the problems with heights and deep water and sickness is death. But this isn't necessarily logical. It is what it is. Number eight is flying. I can always tell when I'm next to somebody who doesn't like to fly because they sound like they turn the vacuum cleaner on when you take off. Then there's number nine is loneliness. Loneliness. People fear loneliness. Number 10, I guess we're getting down to the dogs now. 11% of people fear dogs. Number 11 is driving and riding in a car. Now, I'm going to say that would be contingent upon who's driving for me, you know. Sometimes, especially when some of my kids were learning, that was a fearful experience. I remember going around one corner on two wheels and think that was a little bit too fast as I'm clutching the uh, dash of the car. Now, somewhere between stopping in the middle of the highway and going that fast around the corner, that's right on. I do remember having those exact words with one of my daughters. Number 12 is darkness. People are afraid of the dark. I love 13 and 14. They may be my two favorites. Number 13 is elevators. And I think that's because people are claustrophobic. And they get into a small, confined space, and I think it causes some fear. And number 14, I don't get it all, is escalators. I think escalators are just something meant to have fun on. And so, personally, I go up them backwards and down fast, and I don't know how you do. I love escalators, but evidently, some people would rather die than ride on an escalator. Because 5% said that scares them more than death. I say, really? So you would go to Shields and be afraid of that escalator? I think that's there for fun. Amen, right? All right. Um, Here's my point of all this. When you're under the mastery of your sin nature, you fear. And a lot of the fears are irrational. 
But once we come under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and we're now a child of God, fear no longer is our master, amen? Instead, we're mastered by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ because we have an intimacy with our Father. In fact, that term Abba comes from the Aramaic language and it means daddy. It means daddy. It's daddy, father. And Abba, this term of endearment to God is only used three times in the Bible. First, it's used in Mark, the, the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's having this gut-wrenching, transparent, pleading prayer with the Father. And basically, he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, I don't want to take this cup that's before me. I don't want to go to the cross. And he, he's, just, he's just having this honest, transparent prayer with God the Father. And then the second time we read about Abba Father is in the scripture that we read today in Romans chapter 8. And then the third time is over in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And I want to read Galatians chapter 4 for you, the section where it's found. It's verses 4 through 7. Listen to uh, this teaching here about Abba Father. But when the time uh, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, I understand that we should serve God with kind of a slave mentality. He's master, we're the servant. We should have that perspective. But coupled with that perspective should be this understanding that he's our daddy God. And there should be this intimacy and transparency and genuineness in our relationship with him. Listen, this is a truth some of you maybe need to hear this morning. God loves you and he knows you by name. You are not a mistake You are not a bother. He loves you. Amen? You're his beloved child. And you're to relate to him as Abba, Father. You ever watched a thriller movie and you got a hero or a heroine and you know that person's never going to die, right? Because they're the hero of the movie. And if they die, what would the movie do? Now, some movies do that just to screw us up. But they'd say that's not good movie making because people get so disappointed they won't watch the movie. But we always know there's a lesser role, the not-so-star person in the movie. They're there to die. Amen? You know, okay, that person's going to die. I used to watch a lot of Star Trek when I grew up. And they always would have a new person on the show. And I thought, okay, that person's going to die because they're an extra and they're just on the show because they don't want to kill off Captain Kirk or, you know, Solo or one of those people because they're the stars, amen? Years ago, a, a spoof came out on Star Trek called Galaxy Quest. I don't know if you ever watched Galaxy Quest. I just laughed because it was a takeoff of Star Trek but with kind of a humorous twist. And so what was going on in this movie is you had this, this show that's like Star Trek and aliens were watching it thinking this is how we really lived on our planet. And so they built the ship that was described in the show and all that. And then they went to battle with their mortal enemies and they weren't doing very good. So they decided we need to go to Earth and capture these people and have them pilot our ship so we can conquer our enemies. And it's just a hilarious show don't watch it, though. I'm not endorsing this show, okay, because it's cheesy. But 
There happened to be on the set that day an extra. His name in the show was Guy because he didn't have a name. He was only in episode 39. He just happened to be on the set the day they were abducted. So they get abducted, and it's funny to watch him and his conversation with the rest of the cast. He's going, I'm the extra. I will die now. And he's really, really fearful for his death. And he's just kind of OC and he's caught up on this. And at one point, he's just so upset as this is going on. And he says to the main captain guy, who's Tim Allen, and he says to Tim Allen, he goes, what's my name? I don't have a name. I'm Guy. I die, you know. And then they all begin to say, we got to keep Guy alive. You know what I mean? They begin to, and it's just kind of a funny little takeoff. But I, I thought about this and the absurdity of it all. And I realized oftentimes we approach God that very way. We think of ourselves as an extra. The guy type in the cast. We don't matter. And God doesn't care about us. That is a lie from Satan. That is so not true. God knows your name. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He's doing something beautiful in your life. You matter to God tremendously. You're not a bit actor. You're a main actor in, in the story that's unfolding. And God wants to capture your heart in such a way that you cry out to him, Abba, Father. He wants your heart so captured that you turn from your sinful ways and you turn to God in full devotion and full commitment and follow hard after him. Pastor Kyle's going to sing a song that some of you know. It's He Knows My Name. It's an older song. You're welcome to sing along with him or just reflect for a few moments. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray or sing with Pastor Kyle, but reflect for a few moments on this truth. God knows your name. You matter to him. Amen. Grab a hold of that concept this morning. Do not leave here today without that sinking into your heart.
you again do you believe that you're a child of God that he knows your name amen this is huge we won't step into the life God wants to live to be fully devoted to him and fully experiencing him in our lives if we constantly question our importance to God and if he's interacting in our lives and if he cares about us amen it's not that you're the center it's this understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. He knows your name, amen? He knows who you are. He's keenly interested in you as a person. And I know a lot of us have had bad biological family experiences. Maybe growing up, your parents' main goal was just to keep you quiet all the time or push you off to the side or they're too busy for you. And I understand some of those dynamics. That's not God, Amen? That's not how he thinks of you. You're not a bother to him. You're not too noisy for him. You're not too much in the way for him. He knows your name, and he's interested in you. Step into that reality and embrace it as truth. Amen? Here's our conclusion. I'm skipping a bunch of notes. I know some of you, this will bother some of you. It's just the way it is. We're going to the conclusion this morning. As a child of God, you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. You have this status. You have this inheritance. Now, this inheritance is a two-pronged promise, though. Get this. You've got to understand this. You will share in Christ's sufferings. That's part of the inheritance. Just like he suffered and was misunderstood and mistreated, we too who love him at times will be misunderstood, we'll be persecuted and mistreated. We can expect some of that same thing in our life. But also, praise be to God, our inheritance does not just mean shared suffering. It means this also, you will share in Christ's glory. You will share in his infinite resources and you will share in the inheritance that's heaven and you will share in the privileges and the power that's of the Lord God. And it's, it's wonderful to, 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 that we will inherit this glory. So here's the application. This is our takeaway for this, this message. Your status as a child of God should change then how you live. Should change your confidence. Should change your purposes. 
should change your outlook. It should change how you interact with other people and what to say to other people. It should change how other people can affect you by what they say because you're establishing God. Sometimes when people say some things about us that aren't true, it should just be like Teflon on us. We should just, should just slide right off of us and not stick to us. But here's the thing I want you to understand. And here's the thing I struggle with a lot personally. I like to remain autonomous at times. How about you? I just don't want to interact with other people. It's a lot of work. And at times I'm thinking, I just want to slip in here to this place and slip out unnoticed. And sometimes I don't want to make a commitment to a relationship with somebody because I don't want to take the time and all that kind of thing. I don't know how you are. But get this. You cannot be autonomous with God. He knows your name. You're part of his family. He just won't let you alone. It just doesn't work that way. If you've received Jesus, you've been filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, then you're a child of Abba God, of Daddy Father. Understand this. He wants intimacy from you and relationship from you, time with you, and he wants your devotion. With that family comes privileges and power, but also obligation. And he wants your love and your attention and your devotion as a child. This understanding of position of family, I think it's just critical to living the fully devoted life that we're called to live. And if we don't understand it, I don't know if we'll step all the way into what God has for us because we'll always be trying to hold him off at an arm's length. Just embrace him, man. Just step right into it and trust God with your whole person and just see if you don't experience something that's just so great, so transformative.